Well, I want to ask you kind of a rhetorical question. Are you still driving a Ford Pinto? Well, no, that's not really the sound of a Ford Pinto. I just thought it'd be fun to throw in some real great car music there to get us kind of thinking about it. But we're going to talk about that a little bit. If you're driving a Ford Pinto, you may want to reassess. Now, you don't have to literally be driving a Ford Pinto, but if you're doing something that you were doing 20 years ago, it may also be time to reassess. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, taking care of business today requires that we stay on top of what's happening, what the changes are. And believe me, change is everywhere. That's the one thing we can count on. It's here. It's going to continue. It's never going to go away. And we better be able to look at where we are and make adaptations along the way. So we're going to talk about some examples of that, as well as some questions from you, the listeners, as always. Got some great ones lined up here. Somebody says, Dan, for the most part, I guess I've been doing work that I love. But after five to six years in one place, I get a little bit bored. Is that normal? Hey, we'll talk about that. Dan, am I writing good enough for others? I've self-published two books on Kindle, but only sold a few copies. Another person, I have a hard time deciphering what type of business I want to start. I get caught up in shiny object syndrome. And how about this? My challenge is having a wife who's almost a complete opposite, an anti-entrepreneur of me who's an entrepreneur. And then somebody says, I'm currently in a very fulfilling position, processing transactions all day. I make the money I need to survive, but I feel like I'm just going through the motions because it's boring. We're going to give a name to the money that you make when you're doing a job that's boring. Might surprise you. There's actually a term for the kind of money that you get when you're doing work that you don't love. Well, our quotation for today comes from Stephen R. Covey who said, live out your imagination, not your history. Now, that has a lot to do with how some of these questions we're going to look at today. Wow, if you're living out of your history, or you think your history predicts what you're going to be doing three years from now, and, and frankly, if you're not making plans, deciding now what you want your life to look like in the future, your history will predict very accurately what your future will look like. All right, a resource today we got some of these events coming up. I want to keep reminding you about those. Got one coming up in Keller, Texas, March 9th and 10th. Going to be a great time there. The way these are going to unfold, these ones that we're doing in various places, we got Keller, Texas, Franklin, Tennessee, then Sarasota, Florida. Got another one we might be doing in Virginia coming up um, as well. But um, the way these are going to unfold, I'm going to start out talking about the things that you need to do, three things that you can do that are going to explode your success. I'm not going to just unfold them here, but, um, and it's not like I'm going to, golly, you know, content is so easy to get. I mean, I could just tell you here what I'm going to say there, and that would be it. But these are for the experience of being in the room with other people who are on the same path as you are. 
That's really exciting, energizing, innovative, creative, all those kind of things. Those things happen when you're in a room with other people who are walking the same path you are. That's why we're doing these events. It's not just for content that you've never heard before or food. And we're going to blow your minds with food. We're going to open, I'm going to open with some comments in the morning. We're going to spend some time introducing each other to describe what it is you're doing, just the kind of questions that we're hearing right here today. But you're going to be able to share those in a group and then get some feedback. Then we're going to blow your minds with a, a buffet lunch at all of these locations. And then in the afternoon, we're going to spend some time in small groups together, just really deciphering, really planning out what do you want your life to look like three years from now? What do you need to do to get there? So you're going to walk away with that kind of a plan. Anyway, we got these coming up. The one in Keller, Texas, the first one. If you go to 48dayseagles.com slash experience, you can see there. You know, yesterday I was in a group and I started telling people who else is going to be there. We ought to let you see who else is going to be there so you can recognize names, people that you might be interacting with in our Eagles community or know in other places. But um, I'd love to do that. And of course, we're leading up to the one in Sarasota where we're going to end that day, the second day, with people going through a will it fly exercise where those who want to only be just a few people, but will be able to present your ideas in ways that you get feedback from an experienced group of entrepreneurs and also potential investment in your business if you actually need that. So it's kind of like our version of Shark Tank that we'll be doing. But check it out. 48dayseagles.com slash experience. All right. Now, you know, I mentioned the Pinto. <laughs> That's no longer being made, obviously. Some of you probably don't even remember when the Ford Pinto was around. It was this funky little bathtub upside down kind of looking car. And uh, turned out it had some problems with having the, the fuel tank, the gas tank right in the back where rear end crashes could make it burst into flames. It had kind of a died out with kind of a poor reputation. Ford made that from 1971 to 1980, but there were 3 million of them sold. So it really was a very popular car. 3 million of them sold. Actually, if you still have one around today, it's probably worth a significant amount of money because there's not many of them on the road anymore at this point. But now here's the thing. Not only is Ford not making Pinto, Ford is not making the Fiesta, the Focus, the Escort, the Taurus, the Falcon, Golly, remember, remember some of these cars? I mean, I bought a Falcon, the first car I bought after Joanne and I were married. Well, right when our first son, Kevin, was born, I bought a little Falcon, Falcon two-door sedan. Just great little reliable car, inexpensive, good on gas and all that. Well, they're not making that anymore. They're not making the Fairmont, the Torino, the Thunderbird. Not anymore. The Maverick, the Capri, the Crown Victoria. Wow, think about how many... Geez, those things were popular in funeral processions and hauling presidents around. Crown Victoria, not anymore. No Fusion, no Edsel. Of course, you know the Edsel history. That was just a, a, a phenomenal flop for Ford. It was only produced a couple of years, even though it was um, one of the brothers, one of the Ford brothers was named Edsel, but the car did not do well. The Lincoln Continental, of course, the cousin of the Ford Lincoln line. Again, they don't make the Lincoln Continental anymore. That ended in 2020. The bottom line is Ford doesn't make cars anymore. Now they still have the Mustang, but the Mustang has changed dramatically, but they do not make a four-door sedan. They do not make an ordinary car anymore at all. Ford, think about the history of Ford. 
the millions of cars they put on the road, the family cars that they put out there, what are they doing? It's not like they're going down, down the drain. They're extremely a big company today, but they make SUVs and pickup trucks. They've produced over 40 million trucks since 1947. 40 years running as the country's best-selling single vehicle, the Ford F-Series truck. 40 years that's been the country's best-selling single vehicle. So what do they do? That's what they focus on. They're not forcing people to buy the Pinto, the Crown Victoria, the Edsel, the Taurus, the Falcon. No, they just see where the market's going. They changed to stay on top of that. So the point is, you know, things are changing. If you're still doing what you were doing 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or frankly, 10 years ago, or five years ago, you know, chances are, rather than being praised for your loyalty, you may be becoming obsolete. Now, I got some questions today from people about that. Gee, you know, I get the urge to change every five years. You better be changing every five years in some way or another, or you're going to get left behind. You know, I worked with a gentleman. It reminds me of a client I worked with a few years ago. He worked for one of the big hospital corporations. He had been promoted multiple times. He was His salary was in excess of $300,000, but he had been gently eased out with the most recent merger of that particular company. And uh, so he was being let go, probably partly because he was being paid so much, just having been there so many years. He had nothing to draw from in terms of repositioning him. And I'm like, you know, how in the world did you end up so out of touch? His description was this. He said, for 26 years, I've had my head down, pencil up. He was a numbers guy but he hadn't stayed current with technology, new computer programs, nothing. He felt totally out of touch with today's marketplace. And he really was. He was pretty unmarketable because he hadn't paid attention. He hadn't stayed current with what's happening. Hey, here's a couple more examples. Right now, if you want to get a radio station, you can do that. You can put in for an FCC application and get your own radio station. If you can get the frequency and all, so you pay thousands and thousands of dollars for an FCC application. And then you're going to need a whole lot of expensive equipment to try to get your own radio station. You want to do that? I mean, I talked to a lady just recently who negotiated what she thought was a a great deal, and she's paying thousands and thousands of dollars to have her own radio show. I thought, you got to be kidding me. I'm not sure that I would be that excited about spending money in that arena. I mean, I was on radio for six years in Nashville, Tennessee. It was the biggest radio station in town, 100,000-watt station, same station, Rush Limbaugh, Dave Ramsey were on. I had the highest-rated weekend show on that. When I told the station I was switching to podcasting, they laughed at my ignorance. They laughed at how silly I was. What a goofy little kid to think this thing called podcasting was going to have any kind of legs. Radio is where it's at. Radio has been here a long time. Radio is going to be here. Wow, what's happened in the last 10 years there? It's pretty tough to make a radio station work. I mean, think about how we 
absorb how we get information or music. It used to be if you're traveling across the country, you flip the radio on, you turn the dial until you found something you could hear and you're listening to whatever you happen to like to listen to, talk radio or country music or classical or gospel. Then you drive about 25 miles and it starts to fade out. It fades out. You can't get that signal anymore. So you try to find another station. When's the last time you did that? I mean, these days we have access in our cars. Even if you have some form of radio, you can access through Cirrus or some other kind of frequency system where you can access anything you want to anywhere. But more likely than not, I mean, I know what I do in the radio, in the radio in my car. When I get in my car, start the car, it automatically picks up from my phone the podcast that I was listening to earlier that day. Bluetooth. So everything that Joanna and I play on the radio in our car comes from our phones. So we choose music without advertisements. You know, if it's Pandora or Spotify, whatever we want to use, music without interruptions, without the commercials. We aren't going to put up with that. Most people don't. Anyway, things have changed dramatically. Should I have just stayed on radio, claim my spot because we had a great listening audience? No, it was pretty clear. The trends were going in different ways. Time to change. Whatever it is you're doing, chances are there's a new way to do it that was not available even two or three years ago. And it's to your advantage to be paying attention to where those changes are. Jen McDonough sent me a note the other day. Jen is our Dean of Speaking and our Eagles community. Lives up in Minnesota, but very successful in the speaking arena. Trains other speakers. But just send me a note. She knows the kind of things I'm interested in. And this is a note about a nurse. This is an emergency room nurse named Stephanie Beggs. She got out of school. Now, here's here's the deal. I mean, we heard about nurses during COVID. I mean, you know how stressful nursing is today. During and after COVID, we heard from nurses that were so overworked, they could hardly put one foot in front of another. Well, Stephanie's doing pretty well. And Stephanie's not struggling to you know, make a meager income. Stephanie's making over a million dollars a year, actually over $2 million a year based on last year. How's she doing that as a nurse? Well, she's not just walking up and down the hall of a hospital attending to patients. She's selling her nursing notes. Now, the way she described it, she said it was pretty unintentional. She, I fell into it. She says, I got started selling my notes right when I graduated from nursing school. I was studying for the board's exam, and it was right after the pandemic happened, so I had nobody to study with, but I'd teach myself. She put up post-it notes on the wall in different kind of categories. So if it was on pediatrics or pregnancy or whatever, she'd have notes about that particular area of study as she was studying for her own board exams. And she put that up on Instagram, just as kind of a lark. This is what I'm doing. And it went viral. People were saying, wow, I want your notes. Can I get your notes to help me study as well? People asked to buy her study sheets. So she created a shop and that went viral and continues to be very, very popular today. Yeah, last year she surpassed $2 million in profits from selling her notes. And it's not very complex. If you buy a single study sheet, you can get it for $2. So it's not like big bucks. Then she says she sells them in bundles. So if you want a critical care bundle, 
those are going to be 30 to $40, and that may include 50 to 60 medical conditions. And then she sells all of her notes, a pretty big bundle for pretty much all of nursing school. She sells that for $150. I mean, how cool is that? Here she is, trained as a nurse, just started working as a nurse, and she discovered that people were really interested in the notes that she used to get ready for taking the nursing boards, and she's selling those now instead. A lot of times those opportunities we have are really kind of unexpected or almost accidental. I don't believe there's much that I would consider accidental, but unexpected for sure. There may be something that you're doing where your unexpected opportunity is right under your nose. You just need to look at it in a little bit different way. All right. I'm going to blast into a whole bunch of questions we've got here as well. But uh, just these are the kind of things we need to pay attention to. Where the new opportunities are. Wow. Who's who's doing something new and creative that we would have never thought of? Now, there's merit in doing things that need to be done and doing them reliably and responsibly. But if you're going to be looking for a new opportunity... Keep your antenna up so you can find it. Hey, the music there, just to remind you, these are real-life questions I'm going to be moving into here now. If you got a question, just shoot that in. Go to 48days.com slash askdan. You'll see an opportunity there to leave, leave an audio question, or you can write it out either way. 48days.com slash askdan. So in our recent survey that so many of you answered, for which I'm very grateful, one of the questions was, what challenges or questions are you dealing with at this moment? So that was it. And that's where we got hundreds and hundreds of your responses. So here's a couple of those. We're just going to kind of unpack a few of those today. I love some of the things about my current job, and I've had good luck getting jobs I enjoy. For the most part, I guess I've been doing work that I love, but after five to six years in one place, I get a bit bored is that normal? Should I just plan to move on every five to seven years? I've already done some job crafting to take on new things I enjoy and get rid of things I don't, but I still get bored after a while. Well, this is one of those where, you know, the old Shakespeare thing, know thyself to thine own self be true. Then thou canst not be false to any man. I love that, that, that idea of knowing yourself. And of course, that's one of the core principles in 48 days to the work you love is 85% of the process of having a confidence, proper direction in your career or business comes from looking inward first. Embrace who you are. I mean, Joanne, my wife calls me a three-year man. She knows that's about the length of time that I can do one thing before I get bored and want to move on. Now I've built in ways to anticipate that and handle that So I don't just burn the bridges every three years, but I anticipate how can I build in change and variety and challenge in what I'm doing? So it's not just the same thing. I mean, even if it's something is very successful and predictable, it's pretty dangerous for me to be in charge because I'm going to start sabotaging it and pulling it apart. I like change. I like things that are a challenge. I told somebody recently, I like to dance with failure. I mean, just the idea that something may not work is invigorating and energizing for me. So this is a matter, of, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to be that. It'd probably be dangerous if it were, if you were. But in, in answer to your question here, 
Embrace who you are. If you recognize that about yourself, that after five to six years, you get bored, just anticipate that. Build that in. So what that means is, if you're working for a company, is there a new opportunity within that company? Could you propose a new position? Then you announce that you're the best candidate for that position. Do you need to do a job search and move on? Do you need to start that business that's been kind of dormant in the back of your mind for the last 20 years? Sure, just anticipate it. Embrace that. Don't don't fight that. Don't try to think, well, no, I need to just stick it out here. I need to just stay here for 20 years so I can get my gold watch. You know, that's not a realistic model anymore anyway. But just stay in the driver's seat for initiating the change if you know that about yourself. Doesn't mean anything negative about you. There's no right or wrong, good or bad here. If you know that about yourself, anticipate it and build it in to the decisions that you make. Somebody says, I'm a nurse practitioner starting an advocacy business for seniors and their family caregivers. I'm having some challenges finding what services I can provide on a cash basis without billing Medicare. Well, I think there's lots and lots of opportunity there for doing things that do not have to go through Medicare. I know that, you know, the older people are spoiled with what Medicare provides because it's so easy. But trust me, they're also very, they're also very, very open to things that are not covered there. You know, when I went through a health challenge a few years ago, I felt like I was really burned out, you know, just low energy, fatigue, couldn't sleep well, a lot of things like that going on. You know, I went through seven different doctors, seven different medical providers who told me various things, and I didn't think they really addressed the core issues of what I was dealing with. And I finally connected with a functional medicine doctor. Now, he is an MD, but because he's in functional medicine, his services are not covered under insurance. You have to self-pay. Jeez, I was happy to write the checks to that guy to help me through those challenges and get me back to better health than I had ever experienced in my life. You know, I see people today who have personal trainers, people who you know, get, join and I get massages as part of our health care. Well, that's not covered any, under any kind of insurance. We don't care. And I think you can be very clear as a nurse practitioner about what you want to do, what you want to uh, offer people. When Joanne, when my mother-in-law was declining and we needed to find a place for her to stay, we engaged the services of a nurse who was very familiar with the caregiving facilities where we were there in Franklin National, Nashville, Tennessee. We paid her for her services. It didn't have anything to do with insurance. I think you can just, if you're very clear about that, in fact, I think it's an easier market to address than going through the hassles of working with somebody and then having to file insurance. The, the other side of that is people are more motivated to work with you. They're easier to work with if they're paying themselves than if it's going to be billed to a third-party payer. So hold your head high. You can provide whatever you want to there. Just be clear about it. And there's plenty of people in today's environment that'll be willing to pay themselves for what you're doing. All right. This one has to do with writing. We get a lot of questions about writing. Obviously, um, I'm, I love questions about writing. I love writing books myself. Books have been very, very good to me in so many ways. So this listener says, am I writing good enough for others? I've published 
self-published two books on Kindle, but only a few were sold. Are they good enough for others? What's the best way to finish the other two books I started? Well, as for selling your books, writing a good book is not the predictor of how well it's going to sell. Now, that may seem like it really doesn't make sense at all. Don't great books sell lots of copies and poor books just sell a few? Um, not necessarily. Now, I won't call out any particular titles, but there's certainly books out there that aren't great, but they were marketed well. I mean, it's, I mean, I, years and years ago, there was a guy who wrote a book. I should remember his name, but it was so long ago and I don't remember it. I, maybe I will as I'm talking, but he wrote a book, a lazy, The Lazy Man's Way to Riches. Now, what he would do, he would promote in like the Los Angeles Times, you know, in newspapers as back then, he would promote the title of his book. Well, he promoted that title, The Lazy Man's Way to Riches. And Callie got a lot of response. He thought, well, this is kind of strange. This must be a fluke. So the next week he ran it again in another paper. And again, got a lot of response. People sent it in like $9.95 for his book. He did that a couple more times. And he was blown away by the response to that. And then he thought, well, I guess I better write something. Now, that's exactly what he did. He had not written anything. He was just experimenting with titles. And that title, The Lazy Man's Way to Riches, got a great response. Then he wrote a little book. And it did sell a lot of copies. So that kind of points out one issue here. You can have an average book if it has a great title. And it may sell a bunch of copies. And vice versa, if you have a great book with a poor title, it's probably not going to sell anything. There, there are, you know, There are titles where people just get, of course, these days, you know, some people really kind of stretch the edges in terms of what's even appropriate to just get an edgy title. And sometimes that really works. I don't want to go too far down that, that avenue, that path, but we can see that works. But here's the deal. Mark Victor Hansen, co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, I've talked about him many times and what impact he had on me uh, going to one of his conferences years ago when I was first starting to write. And uh, he told Joanne and me then, I'll never forget it. He said, everybody wants to write a book. He says, what I do is tell them, absolutely, that's great. Write a book, write a really good book, do a really good job. Finish it. Now you're 10% finished. 10%. Meaning writing a great book is 10% of the process. 90% is letting people know about it, getting it out there, marketing it, 90%. So you ought to be focused on what are you going to do in terms of marketing your book before you ever start writing the first word. Don't just write a book and then say, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Start thinking about your market. Who is your audience? How can you reach them? How can you connect with other influencers who will help promote your book? Are there conferences you can go to, online groups that you can be a part of, local groups that you can be a part of, where that will help promote your book? Are there professionals that you're targeting with your book where you can send sample copies to? I mean, those are the kind of things you need to be asking yourself. So is your writing good enough? I don't know. Maybe. But keep in mind, 
the big picture includes way more than just your writing. Is your writing good enough? That's 10% of the process of selling a lot of books. Hey, if you got other questions about books, I mean, feel free to shoot those in. I always enjoy those. So here somebody says, I have a hard time deciphering what kind of business to start. I get caught up in shiny object syndrome. So here I am 15 years later, still no business. I just don't know where to start and what platform to use. This is so common. I'm working with a gentleman right now, coaching him, who actually is an attorney. He has tons of ideas for businesses to start, but hasn't done it. Now, he has some things that he sees as obstacles having to do with low self-confidence, some of those things. He has plenty of ideas. So having a lot of ideas is a great place to start. But you sure don't want to stay there. I recommend that you take the take those 48 days we talk about and commit to having one idea at the end of 48 days. So make a list of your ideas. I mean, in lots of businesses, have 20. I encourage you to have 20 rather than just one. Then filter those through what you know about yourself. In that 48 days process, you know, identify what are your skills and abilities. What are, is your personality? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable with? Those are going to help you define what kind of a business makes sense. And then what are your values, dreams, and passions? Don't just get caught up in an idea that somebody else is doing well. It has to be you. You have to own it. You have to love it. You have to wake up thinking about it, believe in it so much you want your, your next door neighbors to be customers of yours. That's where you find a business that really makes sense for you. So in that period of time, go through that list of 20 ideas. Filter it through what you know about yourself. Get the advice and opinion of other people. Do a little bit more research on three or four that seem to really fit. Then choose one and act. But do that in a 48-day period so it doesn't you know, go on for 15 years. And you, you aren't going to know everything before you start. You aren't going to have all the lights green before you start. You just decide to start, do something, do something. If you want to coach people, offer to coach somebody that you know, write a blog, join a community, start a class, you know, create your own little course and just do something to get in the game and you learn as you go. Well, here's somebody says having my challenge is having a wife who's almost a complete opposite anti-entrepreneur from me, who's an entrepreneur, being on board with me and my self-employment as a graphic designer maker. She was just let go from her job um, teaching at the hospital after 25 years, has to do it independently, being self-employed, and she hates it. Okay, so you're an entrepreneur, your wife is not. Great. You don't want to be clones of each other. I think it'd be boring in a house with people who are just clones of each other. You want to validate your differences. Joanne and I are very, very different. Joanne is not an entrepreneur. You know, I see everything immediately. How can we leverage this? How can we start a little business with this? You know, I, I tend to, I have to watch myself. I have to bite my tongue. You know, I have a, you know, I have a 10-year-old granddaughter, you know, and she draws a great picture. And I'm thinking, wow, we can make prints of this and sell them, you know, as postcards or have them on clocks or mouse pads, you know, create 
versions of this in various ways. Well, I have to watch doing that. Maybe that's granddaughter's just doing it for her own personal enjoyment, doesn't need to turn it into a business. But that's my thinking. My tendency is to go there very quickly. Joanna, on the other hand, you know, do a beautiful painting. Somebody will comment on it. Oh, that's gorgeous. That would look great in my living room. She says, well, you can have it. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You spend a lot of time doing that. We're just wired very differently. And I'm grateful for that. And grateful for the, the different perspective that she brings to our household. When we first got married, first Christmas rolled around and Joanne pulls out her list and she has like 40 people on there that we need to get gifts for. And I'm like, who are these people? Well, this person, my cousin, when's the last time you saw them? Oh, it was like five years ago. Well, who cares? Why would you get them a gift? Well, they're family. And I was just blown away at her desire to give gifts to so many people. Well, we, we balanced each other some in that, you know, we do make pretty clear decisions about gift giving, but she still is an amazing giver. She gives and gives and gives to people that she just met, people that she knew 20 years ago. You know, it's just in her spirit to do that. She sends cards, handwritten cards every day. Cards go out. People love getting those. You know, we're very different in that way. I want her to be different. So back to your question here, you have a wife who's anti-entrepreneurial. That's okay. Help her get another job. If she functions best there, don't try to make her an entrepreneur. In terms of her supporting you in what you do, the easiest way to have her on your side to support you in what you do is to have some success in doing it. I know a lot of guys who claim to be entrepreneurs and who haven't made any money in the last three years and they're they're dependent on their wife to make money having a job. Yeah, you're not going to get support for being an entrepreneur in that kind of situation. So the best thing you can do, I mean, Joanne would have been very content if I would have just gotten a job at General Motors, making those Pintos a few years ago, you know, stayed there 35 years and got a gold watch. She would have been fine with that. It would have eaten me from the inside out to try to make myself do that. She knows that. So she supports me, but the best way to have her support is to have some success in what I do. So the kids aren't going to go hungry. We don't need to worry about you know, having a car to drive or a roof over our heads. I mean, that's the best way to have her on our side. And then having the freedom, the time freedom that we have and the income, open-ended income that we have. I mean, does she want me to go back and get a job now? No, not a chance. She loves being able to walk in here and say, hey, why don't we go to lunch? You know, let's go pick up one of the grandkids, you know, and go down on the beach for a couple hours. Or, you know, hey, could we take a few days off and go back up to Franklin, Tennessee? I want to see my art friends. And I say, sure, let's go. So having that kind of freedom uh, with the ability to make it work, you'll get her support for you being an entrepreneur. Okay, let me grab a couple more here. What This person says, I'm currently in a very unfulfilling position. And incidentally, the reason I'm not giving names is because I don't have those. We had so many, we had thousands of responses to our survey. And so Sheila, you know, our, my assistant went through and stripped out the responses without getting names, addresses, and all that. So I apologize for that. If I'm reading your question, I want to acknowledge you. And I typically do that. But for these, I just have all these responses just in a document that's pages and pages and pages long. So I just grabbed some of these comments that we could comment on here today. 
So this person says, I'm currently in a very unfulfilling position, processing, approving, denying transactions all day. I make the money I need to survive, but I feel that I'm just going through the motions because it's so boring. Since I need the money and stability, I hold on to this unfulfilling job. That's a real sacrifice to have a job that you consider to be unfulfilling and boring. And the only compensation you're getting is money. That is what we call sad money. Now that actually comes from a book. Ken Honda is a Japanese author. He's very highly regarded as a financial guru in Japan. And he's now writing books in English as well. And one of those books is Happy Monday. My son, Kevin, just interviewed Ken Honda on his podcast, Self-Helpful. That's very, very popular as a podcast. So Kevin did that and I listened to it and it was just fascinating. But Ken Honda said that one time he had a lady asked to see his wallet, which really is not that uncommon in his culture. It's kind of strange for me to see that, but he said it's really not that uncommon. And then she looked through all of his money individually, the bills. She went on to explain that money can laugh or cry depending on how it was given or received. If it's given out of guilt, anger, or sadness, the money will be crying or sad. In contrast, if the money is given out of love, gratitude, or happiness, the money will be smiling, even laughing, because it will be imbued with the positive energy from the giver. I mean, I love that. I love that whole, just thinking about that. You know, is the money in your pocket happy money, or is it sad money? Did you get that money because you were in a boring, unfulfilling job? I mean, that money's sad money in your pocket. Or did you get it because you have clients that absolutely love you? You know, you made their yard look beautiful, their windows clean, whatever it is that you do to offer that, or you gave your employer a great service. You love being there because you know the company has a great mission that's making the world a better place. Wow, you got happy money in your pocket. I mean, I love thinking about that. In the same way, you can have, gal, you see a cut in your, you see a nail in your tire when you walk in. You think, oh man, you got to be kidding me. What a bust. You know, why am I having such a, a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day? Like one of the little books we used to read our kids. So you go down and then they say, well, you know, you really can't match this tire. So you really are going to need all four tires. It's going to cost you a thousand bucks. Hey, oh my gosh, how, how could my week get any worse than this? Well, you're dealing with sad money when you pay for it in that way. If you instead say, wow, we're getting ready to go on a trip. And I saw that nail just in time. So we didn't have a blowout out on the freeway going 80 miles an hour. This That could have saved our lives. Jeez, incidentally, you know, I've got great clients who pay me well for what I do. I am so thrilled that I have that $1,000 that is not going to make or break my week. So to, to put new tires on the car, and thus you could, you could deal with your money in different ways. But it just reminded me in, in this question, if you're in a job that's unfulfilling, it's boring, you hate it, you're going to have sad money that you stick in your pocket. It's going to have an impact on you and how it continues its journey, wherever it's going to go. Well, hey, we're going to, Stop it right there and just uh, wrap this up. Thanks for your questions. As always, you can shoot your questions in 
Just send those in to 48days.com slash askdan. Make sure you check out our upcoming events. That's at 48dayseagles.com slash experience. Uh, join me in Keller, Texas. I'd love to see you there if you live in that area. It's kind of a central point for the country. We don't anticipate doing any events farther west than that based on responses and requests that we got. But uh, last time I was in Texas last year, did one of my Food for Thought events, and we had people who even from different parts of Texas flew to DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, and so they could join us just for lunch and then flew back. So make it a point to be there. We're going to have a blast. You'll meet some other people who are going to inspire you and put you on the road to faster success than what you could get otherwise. Well, our quotation again from Stephen R. Covey was, live out of your imagination, not your history. Please, please, please be doing that. If you're making no plans, making no new decisions, then I can look at what you've done the last five years and have a really good predictor of where you're you're going to be five years from now. If you're taking action, you're assessing what are the opportunities. I'm not going to drive that Ford Pinto anymore. You know, what what are the new opportunities out here that I can move to? Wow. If you're doing that, then you're going to be living out of your imagination, not your history. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in those questions. Thanks for being the kind of person who is open to growing and being a powerful force for making the world a better place. Hey, the best thing you can do here, if you've been inspired, share this with three of your friends, people who are also committed to personal growth, the kind of people who are going to show up in Keller, Texas and Franklin, Tennessee, to be in a room with other people who are on the same path. Wow, that's exciting to do that. I choose very intentionally to spend time with people like that and avoid some people who um, don't have that kind of a spirit. And that's okay. I don't need to change them, I could, but I can choose how much time I'm going to spend with them. Become known for your positivity. Become known for being the kind of person who offers hope and encouragement to others. You give somebody a book or resource, recommend something like, a, like this podcast, it's going to help them. It's going to elevate your credibility and value in their eyes. They're going to see you differently. They're going to see you as somebody who's really valuable to have as a friend. And I know you're that kind of person. Stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 